Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Tuesday, February 25th. Thanks so much for tuning in here today. If you have any burning questions, a subject you want me to talk more about, or perhaps you just want to say hi, please don't hesitate to email me at jandreas at stingray.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas. We have a good show lined up here today. At the end of the program, I'll be joined by the voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor. A very busy day in the NHL yesterday with 29 trades being made on deadline day. The Canucks were, for the most part, quiet after their pre-deadline addition of Tyler Toffoli from the LA Kings. They did make one move yesterday after receiving word that number one goalie, Jacob Markstrom, could miss some time. General Manager Jim Benning acquired veteran goalie Louis Domingue from the New Jersey Devils in exchange for netminder Zane McIntyre. Benning told reporters that Markstrom suffered a lower body injury in Vancouver's 9-3 win over Boston on Saturday. Markstrom initially felt well enough to travel to Montreal with the Canucks on Sunday ahead of their four-game road trip, which begins today. Corey Hirsch appeared on the NL Morning News and spoke on what he's expecting now from backup Thatcher Demko down the stretch here as Vancouver pushes for a playoff spot without their number one. Uh, you know what? I have a lot of faith in in, in Demko. Um, he, yeah, he's not going to be as good as Markstrom. I mean, that's right. I mean, Markstrom's having a, a Vesna type season, so to expect him to go in there and do that is is going to be un, unattainable for him. But for him to hold the fort down and get them into the playoffs, I don't see why not. I, uh, Demko's going to be a number one in the NHL one day, and you can always tell a guy that's going to be a number one or a backup. You can kind of tell at the start of their career. You're like. Maybe are they this or are they that? Uh, Demko, he'll be a number one goalie in the NHL. Whether it's Vancouver or somewhere else, it's not going to matter. This guy's going to play. Uh, he's going to have a long career. He's that good. So I don't. I feel confident. I feel comfortable that he's the guy. So Markstrom does have a reported three to four week timeline, although nothing has been made official by the team. So we'll be keeping our eyes there to see if Jake Markstrom is in fact going to be coming back before the end of the regular season. That would, of course, be a big boost to the Canucks and their playoff hopes as they, uh, you know, sit in third in the Pacific right now, but do have a number of games at hand on pretty much everybody in the division. So uh, definitely in a good position here moving forward. My biggest winner of deadline day is personally Patrick Marlowe. Uh, every single season there is an ogwack, as we like to call it, an old guy without a cup. And uh, why can't this be Patrick Marlowe's year, right? I think the guy is a Hall of Famer, second overall pick in uh, 1998. Uh, one of, I think, three players remaining who was drafted in the 90s, the other being Joe Thornton now, who was left to rot on a terrible San Jose team for the rest of this season. And the NHL's longest serving captain, the Chara, who of course won with Boston in 2011. Uh, not that I need to remind Canucks fans about that. But Marlowe has played over 1,700 games, almost 1,200 career points. He sits 25th on the all-time goals list with 561 tallies. The one reason people kind of put him out of that Hall of Fame conversation is because, well, he hasn't really won anything. Well, the Sharks did him a favor, sent him to his third NHL team as he'll get a chance to play with Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins and try to bring home that coveted Stanley Cup that he has been missing for quite some time. All, in all, all honesty, though, probably the biggest win of the day yesterday for a player was uh, J.G. Pajot. Ottawa gets a nice haul of picks for him. A bit of an overpayment from the Islanders, in my opinion, but uh, New York did pick him up and then sign him to a six-year extension worth $5 million per season. I got to say, that's probably a good day for anybody. So, uh, yeah, he is probably the biggest winner of trade deadline day in the NHL yesterday. So, Brendan Batchelor will be coming up at around the 50-minute mark of today's show to talk trade deadline and what we can expect from these Vancouver Canucks in the stretch run 
going into the playoffs, and that all starts tonight as the Canucks are in Montreal to take on the Canadians. Of course, you can hear that game right here on Radio NL. Also on today's show, Kamloops North Thompson MLA Peter Millibar is set to join me. Uh, yesterday in the legislature, there was a, a lengthy discussion on the forest industry in the province and just what is being done to support those who work in that sector. Uh, Millibar spoke up on how it is a province-wide issue and not something that is isolated to us here in the interior. Because certainly when uh, the fake $69 million bailout program uh, for the forest industry happened, um, it only was for the interior. Uh, it seemed to forget Teal Jones, it seemed to forget uh, forestry workers in Maple Ridge um, that were impacted by these forestry uh, crisis that's been created in British Columbia. And so it, it's, uh, it's good that we can rise to, in this house to make sure that the members from Maple Ridge and the members from Surrey understand that forestry is actually a, a big employer in their communities as well and we'll keep standing up and defending for those workers' rights as well because uh, their, their MLAs don't seem to, to recognize that. There was also a, a lengthy chat on the budget, which was tabled by the NDP last week. So we'll get into all of that with uh, Peter Millibar at around the 35-minute mark of today's show. And, and coming up next, it is time to take a look back at yesterday's SD73 board meeting. Among the topics of discussion include uh, Pink Shirt Day. Uh, tomorrow marks Pink Shirt Day here in Canada, which started in Nova Scotia in 2007 as a movement against bullying. If you don't know the story, well, 13 years ago, David Shepard, Travis Price, and some other school chums organized a high school protest to wear pink in sympathy with a grade 9 boy who was being bullied for wearing a pink shirt. So they wanted to take a stand against bullying. After seeing a grade 9 student being picked on for wearing pink, the group decided to distribute pink t-shirts to all the boys in their school. They wanted someone, of course, to stand up for the weaker kids. So David and Travis headed off to a discount store and bought 50 pink tank tops. Uh, they sent out messages to all their schoolmates that night and the next morning they hauled the shirts to school in a plastic bag and as they stood in the foyer handing out the shirts, the bully boy walked in and the pair said that his face spoke volumes. It looked like a huge weight was lifted off his shoulders and the bullies were reportedly never heard from again. Well, like I said, Pink Shirt Day in Canada is tomorrow, and it is a day that I think is a good way to celebrate everyone. A day that we can remember that we are all people, no matter what we look like or what we wear, what we believe, what we eat, how smart we are, what we like to do in our spare time. Whatever it is that makes you unique, we all deserve a place on this earth, and no one has the right to ridicule another for simply being themselves. Definitely a great message of inclusivity, um, but at the same time a message that you can do whatever you want and you shouldn't let anyone stop you. Um, and if somebody does, well, hopefully there is someone out there that will have your back, as was the case here in Nova Scotia back in 2007. So... Tomorrow, Pink Shirt Day, celebrated on the last Wednesday of February in Canada. So, uh, you know, if you're listening to this now, grab your pink shirt, grab a pink tie, whatever, uh, you know, pink accessory you have around. Throw it on you when you go into work or school or uh, whatever you're planning to do tomorrow. If you're going just uh, for a shop around town, whatever the case may be, uh, throw on some pink and, and uh, some, some solidarity and celebration of those uh, who get bullied on a, on a barely regular basis for a reason that is probably unwarranted. We definitely want everyone to feel like they are a part of a community, a part of something, and uh, letting someone get isolated and picked on for something as silly as wearing a, a, a shirt of a color that uh, they like and for some reason others feel is inappropriate, well, that's on them and not on the person wearing it, and we shouldn't have to answer the, to those people uh, who just want to pay, play bully. 
All right, so with all that out of the way, coming up next, the chair of the Kamloops Thompson School Board will be joining me on that and to talk a little bit about what happened at their board meeting here last night. So that's going to be all coming up after the break, so please stick around. More Jeff Andrea Show is coming up after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the show here on Tuesday, February 25th. I am joined now in studio by SD73 Board Chair Kathleen Carpa. Kathleen, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yeah, how are you doing on this lovely Tuesday? It would be nice if it was just a touch bit warmer. I'm looking forward to spring. Uh, it's coming. It's coming pretty soon. We're looking at the end of the week. I think temperatures are like 10 and 11, so it's it's on its way. At least that's what the Weather Network tells me. All right, so let's get into yesterday's school board agenda. One of the big items there was the early year's annual report uh, that was uh, providing an update on the early learning initiatives in the Kamloops region. Uh, maybe just a, a quick summary of what exactly this report is trying to tell you. So this is a 32-page report that we have. Uh, it's uh, sort of the first time that we've done a comprehensive report on our early, early years learning. And that is really looking at children uh, from birth to about eight. So we're talking about all of our kindergarten, grade ones, grade twos, plus those kids that aren't in the school system yet. And we have lots of programs that we work with community groups around, such as our Mother Goose, our Mother Goose programs, um, our Spark program for kindergarten, um, our Strong Start programs that we have in so many of our schools around the district. And all of those are really around focusing and developing kids so that they have those competencies that when they reach school system, we've already identified where students might have challenges, so we're prepared to work to help them uh, grow and to succeed in school. So when putting this report together, um, you know, how exactly do you go about collecting that data to, to find all this stuff out? Because you're talking about, uh, you know, a pretty wide range of, you know, people before kindergarten to some who are in the, maybe those early, early grades. Um, you know, how do you go about collecting that data to see, um, you know, just sort of what is needed within the Kamloops district when talking about getting ready for the school system? So we have um, a few things that we have in our back pocket that we use. Um, so one is our kindergarten survey. Um, that's something that we do uh, early in the year. Um, we're checking to see where kids are at in terms of oral language skills. Do they know their sounds? Um, do they know some simple words? How well can they tell a story? Um, those types of things. Uh, we also have the Early Development Index that's administered through the Human Early Learning Project at UBC. Um, that's done, we've now participated in that uh, eight times, it's done every few years, and that gives us a neighborhood indication of where kids are at for a number of different things such as physical literacy, um, empathy, uh, those types of things. And they really do um, give us an indication of where kids may or may not be struggling. And that leads us as a district to be able to focus resources in on those neighborhoods where they may need extra help in the classroom. Okay. Um, so, I mean, why is it so important to to be involved in that process? I think it kind of goes without saying, but like uh, when you're talking about, you know, certain skills, I guess, that you're trying to identify that potentially could be lacking, I guess, really 
in certain age groups, I suppose. Um, you know, how do you go about uh, you know targeting those individuals to make sure they are doing the work to to get prepared for school? Is there is there anything the district or the school board itself can do uh, to encourage you know parents to to make sure their kids are ready for the system when it's time to get there? So that's uh, things that we take into consideration where we locate our strong start schools. Um, so that's an, a, a classroom in a school where parents can bring their children. Uh, we have an early childhood educator, educator in that room. Uh, it's drop-in, uh, doesn't cost parents anything. And they have a, an ECE worker who is basically teaching parents and working with students to help them develop some of those skills. Things like stacking blocks, very simple things but it's another way to uh, help kids get those mobility, find, find motor skills that they might need. Do you have any idea how well attended that program is? I'm just curious when we're talking about, uh, you know, something like that where like, to drop in and it's free. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot in this community about maybe a lack of like things like daycare um, spaces. And this seems like an opportunity, maybe not to, to abuse it as a daycare system, but definitely something that uh, kid parents might want to take advantage of, given that it is somewhere that, um, you know, you can drop your kids off for some time and they can get a good learning experience. So how, how well utilizes that program? It is very well utilized within our communities. And so we have seen uh, approximately in the last three years, uh, a thousand more visits. Wow. So, um, or a thousand more users. So we're seeing a lot of growth uh, with our strong starts and that's very encouraging. And is that having a, a significant impact? Do you know yet or you're still kind of working to find out just how effective that is when, when talking about getting kids prepared? We know that it helps a lot. Uh, we know that um, even though children may have socioeconomic barriers, that by involving them early into the school system, by getting them comfortable with schools, by having those connections with caring adults in our schools, that we're able to alleviate a lot of those socioeconomic um, barriers that they might have. And that's part of the reason why the BC school system scores as high as it does internationally. Right on. That's definitely some good news, I think, for those attending school here uh, in British Columbia. I, I did want to move on. Anything else you wanted to add on that report before we, we did move along? Just that we have a tremendous number of community partners. Obviously, we are not the ones who are working with children before kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of amazing community partners, including uh, Interior Community Services, Kelly, uh, Literacy and Kamloops, just to name a few, that do some absolutely tremendous work. Awesome stuff. Um, so yeah, also on, on yesterday's agenda, a report from the Secretary-Treasurer regarding the amended budget bylaw. Uh, not a lot that I can say at this point, just because I haven't fully seen the report, but it was presented at last night's meeting. W what can you tell me about that report, uh, that, that amended budget bylaw? So we pass our amended budget bylaw this time of year because we don't actually get our final budget dollars until December. So uh, last time that I was in, we were talking about our, we're about to go mm -hmm. into our budget meetings and to set our priorities for next year. So what's happened is we've predicted how many students we think we're going to have next year. And we do that by taking our existing students that we have, uh, assuming that the grade 12s are going to graduate and leave us, that kindergartens and everyone are, will move up a step in a grade. And we use uh, birth uh, records, uh, birth numbers from interior community or from interior health to predict how many kindergartens we think we're going to get. And so that gives us a ballpark of how many students we think we're going to have for the next year. 
our tricky spot is we can't predict in migration or out migration so families moving into the into the district right. or out and that's economic so we actually had 230 extra students over predictions wow. show up in September that we hadn't predicted last spring and so that has a big uh, impact on our budget and that uh, wound up adding 1.68 million dollars to our budget by those 230 students um, so that means that when end of September hits, we have those student numbers, then we have to rejig everything. And then we finally get our budget dollars in December, and then we finalize everything and pass our final budget in February. So, I mean, when talking about that, that seems like a pretty significant, uh, you know, uh, number above and beyond what you were anticipating. Is that, is that a bit of an anomaly, I would think, this, this past year? We have over, um, since the 2016-17 school year, have had an increase of 705 students to the district. That's the equivalent of two elementary schools. Wow. Full-size, large elementary schools. So, I mean, when, when looking at that calculation and anticipating how many students, do, do you look at these past few years and, and look at them as maybe more of a trend now moving forward? That's an ongoing challenge, yeah. and it's something that's very hard for us to get a handle on uh, because we don't know where the economy is going to go. Right now, what's been driving a lot of this is housing prices in the lower mainland. Um, but if the economy goes sideways, we could see the, uh, people moving out. So it's very hard for us to predict. Um, and the economics can change yeah. rapidly. Uh, you just got to do the best you can with, with the numbers you have, right? That's all, all one can do. Um, we got about 45 seconds left here, Kathleen. Uh, just wanted to uh, give a little shout out here to Pink Shirt Day tomorrow. I talked a little bit about it in the intro, but uh, I think it's a pretty important day just when, when talking about kids and, and bringing them together to uh, form a common voice. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the actual day itself and, and just how well it is participated here in Kamloops? So pink shirt day tomorrow, we are encouraging students to wear uh, any type of pink. Uh, you'll see most of our staff will be wearing pink. It's about inclusion. It's about accepting people as they are, uh, creating a safe and welcoming environment so that everyone can thrive. Right on. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I'll definitely make sure I, I find some, some kind of pink to put in my wardrobe here for tomorrow. So thanks so much for coming in. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. That was the SD73 board chair, Kathleen Karpak. Uh, coming up next, I'll be joined by Peter Millibar. So we'll be talking a little bit about forestry after this. So please stick around. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Hello and welcome back to the show here on Tuesday, the 25th. Thanks so much for uh, lending your ears my way here this morning. Yesterday in the legislature, there was a fairly lengthy discussion around forestry. Among those to chime in was Kamloops uh, North Thompson MLA Peter Millibar, and he joins me on the phone from Victoria now. Peter, uh, how are you doing here this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, appreciate you taking the time. So. Let's just get into it. Uh, I played a short clip from you here earlier in the show uh, as part of yesterday's chat on forestry. Um, you know, you were actually there. Can you give the audience here a bit of a, a rundown of exactly sort of what was being discussed around the subject of forestry? What was sort of the tone of the conversation? Well, really what happened is on, on Mondays we have what's called private members time. And so from uh, 11 till about noon, uh, one, one week it's our motion, the next week it'll be the NDP motion. And uh, we brought forward a motion around uh, ensuring we have a working forest in British Columbia. 
And so uh, uh, there was uh, half a dozen of us that got up and spoke for five minutes each, a half a dozen of the NDP get up and speak for five minutes each and um, and try to address uh, the topic at hand. Um, you know, certainly we were trying to convey uh, our concerns of, of lack of action towards uh, the forestry sector, be it on the island or, or in the interior. They both have um, unique challenges right now. And uh, unfortunately, the, the other side chose to basically say, well, 16 years this, 16 years that, and, and uh, no real clear uh, direction or, or acknowledgement of what, uh, what steps the government might actually take moving forward to try to lessen the impacts in the forest sector. Yeah, so clearly, you, you know, a bit of disappointed, I guess, in the response that you were getting from, from your NDP colleagues. Um, I guess, what do you do now moving forward? One of the things I remember you saying was just talking about the, uh, the, the $69 million, I believe it was, that was announced late last year for uh, forestry workers in the interior and, and uh, you know, kind of disappointed in that fund a little bit overall that it hasn't really done necessarily what it's supposed to, uh, at least not to this point. And, and also, um, you know, maybe a, a lack of uh, understanding from some of your NDP colleagues as well in other parts of the province. So, um, you know, just, you know, not not overly happy, I guess, um, from the responses that you have received so far. No, it's it's been disappointing. Um, you know, we saw we saw that um, there was a sixty nine million dollar fund, but that came at the expense of the rural dividend fund, the fund that um, government or local governments, small local governments, use to try to diversify their economy. That local uh, agencies and nonprofits tapped into to do things in communities as well. Uh, that was frozen last year. Uh, we were told it was going to be back this year. It wasn't in the budget this year. And then you look at other items uh, within the budget, and you're saying, where is the help for forestry? And I know the minister has been on NL saying that uh, there was an extra $13 million. Well, that's a drop in the bucket. And, and as much as the minister wants to say that his, his budget has gone up, uh, the reality is that last year uh, his budget was uh, $500,784,000. Uh, this year, it's four hundred eighty-nine thousand one hundred twenty-six million. Uh, so it's actually dropped, and it's dropped even more when you consider that there's the two percent wage hike in, built into that number as well. Uh, so um, I'm not sure what uh, classifies as a budget increase for forestry under this minister, but uh, when you're looking at the actual budget book, uh, their own bolded numbers on page forty-four and forty-five of their fiscal year-ending uh, book they just released, it's dropping significantly. So with that all in mind, I mean, what, what is Peter Millipar's message to forestry workers right now? I mean, you're going to continue to to bring forth, uh, you know, the subject and, and making sure it stays topical. Um, you know, wh what else can you really do uh, given that, uh, you know, the Liberals aren't the government that has any real control um, over the books right now? What, what, what's your message to those in the forestry industry who are, are concerned about their future? I mean, we saw um, even just yesterday I did a story about um, a situation out in Lillooet where there's a potential another... Um, plant set to close as well I'm you know, hopefully that doesn't happen we'll see about that particular situation as it moves forward but uh, yeah I mean just just what is your message to workers in the industry well really the, the we're going to continue to press the point uh, with the government uh, we're in budget debate right now and, and what we've saw in this budget is that uh, 13 ministries have seen cuts to their uh, operation budgets this year all of those 13 ministries are the ones that rural BC rely on so forest uh, environment um, all of the mining all of those types of ministries have actually seen cuts to their budgets in spite of an increase in spending overall and so we have very big concerns uh, that rural BC is getting further left behind with this budget we're going to keep pressing uh, Minister Donaldson to come up with an answer on the 10-year transfer for Clearwater Vazenby area that's impacting a huge amount of operations in our area everything from service 
you know, even Dom targets a lot of their chips out of that fiber basket. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, we have a strong as possible uh, local forestry community, and, and we need to see the government start stepping up and taking some tangible steps and actually start reinstituting some of the programs that rural BC relies on to try to uh, diversify their economy and actually make sure that they're not solely dependent on, on either mining or on forestry or, or one single natural resource uh, project. Yeah, and you also mentioned here, too, that, you know, budget discussions are underway now uh, after it was, uh, the document was tabled last week. Um, you know, you, you brought up the Rural Dividend Fund that wasn't uh, as part of the 2020 budget here. Um, you know, what, what um, is there any other programs that you're sort of highlighting here as you go through uh, the budget process and as you, uh, you know, bring forth your concerns with what's going on? I don't believe I've heard your side particularly yet of, of just how you felt about the B.C. budget overall. So uh, just curious to get your thoughts there and how you see this process playing out moving forward? Are there any particular things that uh, weren't in there that you're hoping to see, uh, and maybe specifically when we're talking about the forestry sector here? Well, again, uh, I think what, what's the most troubling, and I spoke uh, for about a half an hour on the budget yesterday as well and, and um, did my speech on that, and I focused a lot on, on environment and climate change, uh, given that I'm the critic for that. And, and in that ministry, uh, they've seen a $4.6 million cut uh, to their budget uh, on top of what they should have probably had and with, would have been around a $2 million automatic lift for salaries. Uh, it's really closer to about a $6.5 million cut to the Ministry of Environment. Uh, you know, this is a, a minister who used to be the head of the Sierra Club, uh, propped up by a Green Party, and they're cutting his budget. Uh, it, it is actually nonsensical, given uh, all the other conversations we're hearing about climate change and, and action and everything else, uh, that that's happening. Uh, we're not seeing, uh, we've heard housing uh, providers uh, point out that there's actually been a rollback in, in money for housing projects uh, through BC Housing in this budget, and that it will come nowhere near meeting the, what is needed. Uh, the child care promises uh, have evaporated uh, without funding behind them. So uh, there's a lot of good slogans happening right now with the government. When you actually look at their budget book, and this is their own budget book and their own printing, um, the numbers simply do not match uh, the commentary that their speechwriters have given their MLAs to, uh, to deliver uh, to the public. Right on, Peter. Well, uh, that uh, pretty much wraps up our time right now, but thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to follow these, uh, these chats here on the budget as they move forward. So thanks so much for taking the time here today. I really appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. Thanks a lot. Right on. That was uh, Kamloops North Thompson MLA Peter Millibar uh, talking about the forestry industry and some concerns, um, obviously, that continue when it comes to that sector as a whole and also uh, as that budget process moves through the legislature as well, continuing to, to chime in on that document as well as it does uh, the, the NDP government, of course, will look to pass that sometime in the uh, not-too-distant future. Coming up next, I'm going to be talking NHL trade deadline. Yesterday was the day, and there was no shortage of action around the league, uh, so I'll be talking with with Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet after this to help break it all down. So please stick around. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Tuesday. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yesterday was a bit of a holiday on the NHL calendar. It was trade deadline day. Here now to talk about the Canucks and what they did or didn't do is play-by-play man for Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor. Batch, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to do this today. 
Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, so obviously a uh, trade deadline day yesterday. Not a ton of action surrounding the Canucks. The only real move they make is to bring in Louis Domingue from the New Jersey Devils in exchange for goalie Zane McIntyre. So let's just start right there. Um, you know, Jim Benning looking to shore up that goaltending position with Jake Markstrom out three to four weeks. Um, I guess just what what are your initial thoughts on this move? Just uh, obviously looking to bring in some depth behind um, uh, Thatcher Demko here at this point. Yeah, it was uh, not the way that I think many of us expected the trade deadline to go because coming into the day, nobody knew about the Markstrom injury. And uh, at the practice they had yesterday here in Montreal, uh, we were just told that Markstrom was having a maintenance day and then it became clear as, as the deadline drew closer that actually it was a little bit more than just a maintenance day. Uh, that he does have a knee injury. Uh, and initially there are reports out there, you're right, of three to four weeks. The hockey club hasn't said that as of yet. Mark Strip is returning to Vancouver, and uh, they're going to have a better idea of a specific timeline for him later in the week. But it became clear at that point, I'm sure, for the management group that they had to bring in a, another goaltender to help Thatcher Demko here, although I still expect that Demko will get the lion's share of the starts while Markstrom is out. Louis Domingue is a guy who has played in the league. You know, he's got 16 games with Devils this year, but uh, he played in Tampa last season and actually had a pretty good year, obviously behind one of the best regular season teams we've seen in a while when, uh, when he did get a chance to go in. So he's an experienced guy. He's a guy that can come in and play a handful of games for them here down the stretch if they need him. Uh, and he's in a unique spot too because uh, they will be able to send him down to the American Hockey League. They, uh, you know, he was in the AHL. I guess the best way to describe it is that they, they can bring him up on an emergency recall here so they don't have to burn one of the, the few recalls they have left now that we're past the trade deadline here. Uh, but they'll be able to send him back down without, without using any of those up. Uh, if and when Markstrom gets back. And then uh, that'll also mean that the majority of his salary gets buried in the American Hockey League as well. So it's not a restrictive deal in terms of the salary cap. And uh, he's a guy that you know can come in and, and should be able to provide them a few serviceable games here over the next month if indeed Markstrom does miss that much time. Yeah, so this is really just a, a move of insurance. And, and like you had mentioned, Demko is probably going to be the guy who's taking the majority of the starts here moving forward. Um, I guess just what, what do you think the team's confidence level is in Demko at this point? Obviously, uh, you know, breaking up Domingue instead of somebody maybe bigger like a Robin Leonard who was available uh, shows a little bit of confidence here in the young backup. It does, and, you know, Jim Benning said as much yesterday when he spoke to the media that, you know, they're confident in Thatcher. They've worked with him for a while now. He's had a year and a half in the NHL. He was recalled initially last January after they traded Anders Nilsson away, so uh, he's had a lot of time to work with Ian Clark. He's got some good NHL experience now, and, you know, they, they say they're confident in him that, uh, that he'll be able to carry the mail for them here down the stretch and and you know jim benning even went as far as to say we didn't want to bring in someone like robin leonard because we don't want thatcher looking over his shoulder this is his crease now until markstrom returns and uh and they're going to give him a chance to to run with it 
so, you know, regardless of how the rest of this season goes, whether the Canucks uh, continue to play, you know, relatively well and make the playoffs, they probably only need to win about 11 of their final 21 to secure a playoff spot. Uh, whether that happens or not, we're going to learn a lot about Thatcher Demko's ability because he's, you know, he's only started three games in a row once this year, and that was back in October when Jacob Markstrom took a leave of absence to visit his ailing father, who's since passed away. Um, so, so we'll learn a lot about Demko's ability to to perform in a moment like this, and uh, with Markstrom's contract up in the summer, and with the Seattle expansion draft coming up, and you're only allowed to protect one goaltender in that. Uh, the Canucks will learn a lot about where the future of their goaltending position may lie, whether uh, they have a successful finish to the regular season or not. Now, clearly the, the big trade deadline move for this team happened prior to the deadline with the pickup of, of Tyler Toffoli. He seems to have fit in quite well, um, although I don't know how much you can read into that game against Boston, given that everybody got a lot of points. Um, but, I mean, this addition has been uh, so far so good when talking about basically replacing Brock Besser, since that's pretty much what Toffoli has come in and had to do. Do you think this move is, is enough to, to get them uh, to the playoffs? I mean, this is a team that, uh, you know, it's obviously had uh, issues when it comes to depth scoring they bring into Foley and at the same time they lose Besser um, but it's so far so good uh, I just I guess the thoughts on that move overall I mean it's it seems to be working out um, do you expect it to continue to be as smooth sailing I guess moving forward yeah well Tyler Toffoli is a player who it's clear initially he's got great offensive instincts and when you put him on a line with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson uh, it's been a recipe for success so far. He's got four points in his two games. Uh, he had just come off scoring a hat-trick in the outdoor game for the LA Kings against the Colorado Avalanche uh, the game before he was acquired. So he's playing some pretty good hockey right now, and it should help shore up some of the offense for them uh, playing on that line. It'll be a line that I expect will continue to produce, but you're right to point out that they're still going to need secondary scoring down the stretch, and then you have to look at the likes of Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson and Jake Bertanen and Adam Goddad as guys that are going to have to step up and provide a little bit more offensively, and then, to be honest, this team needs to be a lot better defensively, and they, they played one of their best defensive games in recent weeks against the Bruins the other night, but, uh, you know, a big part of, of having success and winning games is limiting the opposition and not spending a ton of time in your own zone. Uh, so that that's an area that they're going to need to vastly improve upon, especially because they don't have Markstrom now for, you know, at least a few games, if not a few weeks. Uh, you know, they, they can't afford to have some of the stretches that they've had in recent games where they've been hemmed in and it's been Markstrom that's bailing them out not to take anything away from Thatcher Demko, who I still think is a great goaltender and should be able to provide them goaltending that can allow them to win games down the stretch, but they've relied on Markstrom to be fantastic at stretches throughout this season, and that is, you know, a, a bit of extra leash that they've had that they may not have anymore with the young goaltender Demko going in. So uh, Toffoli will help supplement the offense. It should mean that top line still produces consistently, but if they want to have success, they're going to have to be better in their own zone as well. Um, a couple of questions left here before I let you go, Batch, but I did want to ask about Toffoli. Do you think that uh, this is a player that uh, Benning might be looking to sign uh, to a long-term extension come the summer, or is this sort of maybe a, a trial experiment here, going to see how these last few weeks play out of the regular season and then make a decision after that? 
it'll be interesting to see because there's so many moving parts heading into the summer. Uh, Markstrom's contract is up. Tanev's contract is up. Troy Stetcher's contract is up. And his future is uncertain. There were a lot of rumors around him going into the trade deadline. And then there's always the, the looming contract of Louis Erickson, which the organization may be able to get out from under in the summer. If they're able to do that, then obviously that would free up a lot more cap space. And it might be more realistic to think about extending a player like Tyler Toffoli. But, uh, you know, you look at the fact that not this coming summer, but the following one, they're going to have to sign Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes to uh, very large contracts you would expect with the way that they've performed uh, you know, over this season, certainly. Uh, they may just not have the cap space. And it may not be something that uh, is realistic for them in the long term. Uh, I think many people thought that when they acquired Toffoli, it was just a pure rental deal because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent in the summer. But that said, if he fits in really well, if he likes living in Vancouver, he's got his you know really good buddy Tanner Pearson uh, that he's playing with here now, that he may want to stay here, and there may be ways for the organization to to find a way for him to stay as well. Jake Vertanen's another player whose contract is up. They could try to move away from him prior to the entry draft, especially if they want to recoup some of the picks that they traded in the Toffoli and JT Miller trades. So uh, I would say at this point, it's more likely that he leaves as a free agent than he stays. But there are so many things that can change between now and July 1st that we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I did want to ask you one more question here, Batch, before I let you go, just because I wanted to look at the Pacific Division as a whole. Uh, Vegas got a, quite a bit better, I thought. Edmonton made quite a few moves. I just wonder, who who is your winner out of the Pacific Division following yesterday's trade deadline? Yeah, it's going to be the Vegas Golden Knights, and I think I, I honestly would have picked them before uh, the deadline yesterday, but uh, I've liked some of the moves they've made, getting Alec Martinez on the blue line. Robin Leonard comes in and will provide some goaltending cover for them, which uh, certainly is going to help them. And, you know, you, you look at all of the clubs that are in or around the playoff picture in the Pacific Division, and Vegas to me seems like that team that, you know, the, they resemble a lot of what we've seen from them over the last couple of years, which was a very good team. And for whatever reason, they haven't been able to put together a really good stretch this season while they've won six games in a row now. And they've uh, separated themselves a little bit at the top of the Pacific Division, although, you know, as we speak right now, the Canucks still have three games in hand on them and are only four points back. So it's certainly possible that Vancouver could continue to try and chase them down. But uh, when you look at all of the clubs and you look at the the positives and negatives of each group Vegas to me seems like the team that's not only uh, the most well prepared to win the division but is the most well prepared to win in the playoffs and uh, you know a lot of the moves yesterday uh, were made with with that sort of eye in mind the Edmonton Oilers bringing in some some depth forward help and and Andreas Athanasiu who, uh, who could certainly play up the lineup for them so that will make them a little bit more dangerous offensively but uh, yeah Vegas is the team for me right now that that will probably be the class of the Pacific Division but uh, that's going to be the interesting part of the rest of this season if you told me that Vegas wins the division I would believe you if you told me it was Edmonton or Vancouver I would believe you as well um, so it's going to be a lot of fun here over the final 20-21 games or so. All right. Well, thanks so much for doing this batch. Of course, the Canucks are in Montreal tonight, so uh, enjoy the game.
Yep, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That was Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play man for your Vancouver Canucks on Sportsnet 650. Of course, we here at Radio NL will have uh, tonight's game for you here. Uh, of course, that begins this afternoon. The Canucks are in Montreal to take on the Canadians. Puck drop set for just after 4, and pregame gets underway at 3 o'clock right here on Radio NL. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me, and of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, remember whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.